Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly back with you for the briefing for the first time in 2023. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you've been having a great summer. And for today's ep, I'm joined by Katrina Blowers. Katrina, how's your summer been? Oh, it's been awesome. It's so good to hear your voice again, Tom. Um, I worked right through because somebody has got to do the news Hmm. on Christmas Day, but I have just had the last week off, so I'm feeling pretty refreshed. I got a surprise trip to Fiji for Christmas from my partner, so I thought we were just going to be hanging around at home. And off we went on a plane. So that was pretty awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've had a very chilled couple of weeks off. Um, A week on the Central Coast um, with Amanda's family and taking Maxwell to the beach. And then a week of hanging around Sydney. Yeah, just chilling. But um, Maxwell loving the ocean pools of the Central Coast. That just sounds like the most beautiful, quintessential Aussie summer. How delightful. Yeah, very nice. So in today's episode, um, Rihanna's got a really interesting interview. She's taking a look at food security in Australia. We're going to be short of various products during each calendar year, and that is ultimately going to affect the consumer. And, you know, Food Bank, which um, does a tremendous job, their Hunger Report 2022 suggested that Two million Australians are food insecure. Yeah, so if you are already struggling with the rising cost of groceries, and I have noticed this so much, I reckon my bill's gone up between 50 and 100 bucks each week, depending on what I buy, uh, then buckle up because it is expected to continue this year and we're going to find out why. Yeah, it's crazy when you think how much food we produce, more than we need, we export a lot of food, that we have any kind of problem with food insecurity here in Australia. So we'll get into all the nuances of that in that interview with Rihanna Patrick. First, here are today's news headlines. It's Monday, the 9th of January. The PM has hit back at a letter by opposition leader Peter Dutton, which accused him of treating Australians like mugs for not releasing more detail on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Yeah, so Peter Dutton's been making some big noises on The Voice uh, in this letter, which he sent to several media outlets. He posed 15 questions regarding the appointment of members, the voice's powers and its cost. I really think he's treating people like mugs. <laughs> I haven't heard that expression for a while, probably since Alf Stewart used it on uh, Home and Away. <laughs> so in a tweet, Albo has called out Peter Dutton for making cheap culture war stunts and said that he gave the letter to media as an exclusive, even though he actually caught up with Peter Dutton at the cricket on Friday and didn't mention anything about it. I guess, though, Tom, this is going to continue until mm. some detail is released. And I know we are very early in the new year, and that's when we were told that this detail was going to be given to us. But if we are potentially going to a referendum as early as August, which is what some people have flagged, we are going to need to start finding out more about what this all entails. Yeah, I think Peter Dutton has a right to ask for more detail. um, But I think if he is seen as just negging this whole policy, I don't think that'll play that well Mm. for him. And we've already seen um, the Nationals sort of end up in an internal squabble over this. The, the Federal Party saying they're not going to support The Voice before even seeing the detail. And then various um, state branches of the National saying, well, hang on a minute, we, we, we might actually support The Voice. So it's going to be divisive and it will be one of the biggest stories of the year. So only uh, fitting, I guess, that we start off the year with a, a war of words over that because it's going to continue. 
There's been a major development in the Toyo Accordingly murder case. The Indian man, who's a key suspect, will return to Australia after opting not to fight an extradition request. Yeah, so Taya Cordenly was the 24-year-old who was killed in 2018 whilst walking her dog along a beach near Cairns. Um, her body was found by her father. Hours later, Rajwinder Singh, who'd been working as a nurse in Innisfail, travelled to India He's claiming now that he was just a witness to the crime and by not contesting this extradition, it's going to speed up the whole process, which is good news because extraditions from India have been known to take 10 years. So he'll be back in Australia much sooner than that and we might get closer to justice for this woman's murder. The cleanup is beginning in the Kimberley's flood-stricken town of Fitzroy Crossing with waters from a one-in-100-year flood now receding. In some places there's water as far as the eye can see. Uh, it, it was explained to me that it's as wide as 50 kilometres in some places. So massive amounts of water. Yeah, it's been a crazy um, flood there. It's all come from ex-tropical cyclone Ellie. Um, that was Western Australia's Emergency Services Minister, Stephen Dawson. So five tonnes of supplies have been dropped at Fitzroy Crossing since Friday. Two barges carrying more will arrive in Broome tomorrow and Wednesday. And 160 people have had to flee those floodwaters after that Fitzroy River peaked at a record high last week. Yeah, sadly, though, some communities downstream will be hit with floodwaters in the next 24 hours. And in sport, the SCG cricket test finished yesterday. I was there to catch a few overs, which was really nice. Um, It wasn't the most exciting finish, though. It was a a draw because they couldn't bowl enough South Africans out. Um, But it closed the series at 2-0 to Australia. So it was an absolute whitewash by the Australians. South Africa just basically couldn't bat. It's going to be... A big year of cricket. Um, it's not over yet. It's just getting started. They're going to head to India next for a big um, test tour. They'll play the Ashes in England mid-year and there'll also be a World Cup. Yeah, amazing. And tennis is going to fire up soon as well. Novak Djokovic has clawed his way to victory in an epic Adelaide international final. So everyone's going to be watching him ahead of next week's Australian Open where he'll be hoping to win after being booted from the country last year. What a what a big turnaround. What a big turn of events. Yeah, I mean, if he can hold up that trophy, it's going to be an extremely um, dramatic moment and I think a real tribute to the way he handled such a difficult situation Mm. last year. Um, Sadly, Naomi Osaka won't be there. She's um, just withdrawn a week out from the tournament. There was a big question mark over her. She was um, posting photos from a European holiday just recently, and we still weren't sure whether she was going to come to Australia, but she's decided to officially pull out, and she hasn't played competitively since September. So I think there's a big cloud over her, her whole competitive career right now. All right, that's it for the headlines in just a sec. Rihanna Patrick's going to jump in and talk to us about food security, just how much things are going to go up by this year. The price we pay to eat. If the predictions are right, it seems the rising cost of food will continue this year. We're being warned the cost of all fruit and veggies will skyrocket within weeks. Demand is colliding with the fallout of a very wet year. Supermarkets say the reason this is happening is because of supply chain issues, but also because of the wild weather that has devastated crops. 
If you like hot chips, then the current lack of potatoes is probably not the way you wanted to start the new year. But why are we still experiencing these food shortages and will food prices continue to soar? Richard Forbes is CEO of Independent Food Distributors Australia. Richard, thanks for joining the briefing. What's contributing to the rising cost of food as well as the supply issues we've had over the last few years? The rising cost of food is uh, being impacted by a whole bunch of different issues that really is quite unprecedented in many ways. Not only have we seen 11 catastrophic weather events in Australia in the last three years, but we also have a massive shortage of labour as well, around 170,000 workers. We are short across the entire supply chain. And then you've got things like rising input costs, which affects the prices right through to the consumer. So that's things like rising electricity prices, rising fuel prices and so on. On top of that, of course, you've, you've still got the impact that COVID had over the last two and a half years. So the global food supply chain is sort of playing catch up. And then you've got the geopolitical tensions of Russia, Ukraine, which is also impacting the global food supply chain as well. So it's it's almost been the perfect storm in, in a sense. And so what we're advocating, and this is the National Food Supply Chain Alliance made up of nine food industry bodies, is that Australia needs a national food plan and we don't have one. Yeah, Richard, I was going to say, I'm quite surprised. I mean, how do we not have a national food security plan in this country? Well, I guess it's because we've never really needed one. But I think changing climatic conditions has really put us in a position that we've never been in before, Rietta. Australia produces triple the amount of food that we need. So food security, that terminology which means, you know, we could be facing massive shortages to the population is not really an issue. The main issue is the ability to supply various food products consistently when you've got so many different factors impacting our supply chain. And that's the issue. Yeah, well, on that, Richard, I mean, how did the pandemic expose, I guess, the flaws in our food security? Well, we do import a whole bunch of ingredients, for instance, that goes into the making of of food meals. But there's things like just shipping on its own. When you have a pandemic, a one in 100 year pandemic and countries close down effectively, it has a massive impact on things like shipping. So the price of shipping containers rose between 500 and 700% because there simply weren't the ships on the, you know, on the seas that there were pre-pandemic. So when the cost of transportation, and this is the point globally, it might be shipping, but domestically it might be, you know, if the east-west railway line, when that was flooded, well, the the price of transporting a container on a truck doubled and tripled during that period of time. So different factors impact the cost of transportation. And as soon as you get that, it will flow through the supply chain to the consumer ultimately. And it's the same when you have a flooding event. You know, the less product, the higher the price. Well, on flooding, I mean, 
with the most recent flooding in Western Australia and also far west New South Wales, I mean, how likely is that to affect what we can find in store, but also the cost of it? It's not going anywhere, Rihanna. Um, the Insurance Council of Australia have basically said that we need a plan as well. We need a strategy because the taxpayers ultimately are paying for the price of these natural disasters and they've put figures rising from sort of $800 per person to $1,500 by 2040, I think it is. So what they're saying is that we need to be prepared for climate change. We're going to be short of various products during each year, each calendar year, and that is ultimately going to affect the consumer. And, you know, Food Bank, which... Um, does a tremendous job. Their hunger report 2022 suggested that 2 million Australians are food insecure. And of that, 1.3 million children are impacted. So here we are in what many consider to be the greatest country on earth. And we've got 2 million people in Australia out of a population of 25 million who are struggling to put food on the table. Your organisation, Richard, provides, I think, food, is it like $57 billion hospitality industry, hospitals, aged care, schools, childcare, military bases. So how is this also affecting, I guess, that flow on? I mean, I'm talking about it as an individual consumer, but how is that affecting the rest of the network that you service? Yeah, so look, most people would know Coles and Woolies, the two very large retail supermarkets in Australia. But there's another side to the food system in Australia, and that is a whole bunch of independent family-owned businesses, and we represent about 165,000 of them. So think about your independent IGAs. Think about your independent grocery shops, your butcher shops, and so on. But then think about all the restaurants and cafes and pubs and clubs that you and I go and have a coffee, you know, and a meal at. The hospitality sector in Australia is valued at around $57 billion. So with the pandemic, when you have government lockdowns, hospitality was shut down. That has a trickle-down effect right up through the supply chain. And then you alluded to institutional facilities like hospitals and nursing homes and military bases. We service about 20,000 of those. So government really needs to understand that any impact on the food supply chain has the potential to impact the sick, the frail and the elderly as well. So it's not just us as a consumer in the community, you know, the food supply chain and the role that these businesses, these independent businesses play in servicing hospitals and nursing homes and so on is a really, really important one. And to date, I don't think there's really been a really good understanding of all the different slices of the food sector cake, if you like, and that's that's why the alliance was formed. Richard, I know we might be feeling this quite acutely in the city, but I'm assuming that, you know, when we talk about the cost of food, it's even higher if you're in a regional or remote community. And we're talking about communities that have probably already been impacted by other issues such as floods and drought. I mean, what is happening in those areas outside of cities in terms of the price of food? It's funny, isn't it, that when we think about food prices, largely all the discussion in the media has been about, you know, well, how does this 
affect the price of food that we're going to pay in Melbourne and Sydney. But little thought or discussion occurs around those, for instance, seven townships that were flooded in the central west of New South Wales. You know, they are cut off and it's, it's, it's not only a matter of, you know, rescuing those people and making sure that they're safe. It's understanding, well, hold on a minute, how are we going to get food to them? And personally, I was cut off for about a week in a little town called Iluka in the northern rivers of New South Wales. If it hadn't been for the independent IGA in that tiny little town, then the community wouldn't have had food. So, yes, we really have to think about the impact of weather events on rural and regional and remote Indigenous communities as well that rely on the ability of these networks, these transport networks, to run efficiently. So, Richard, if these prices are expected to continue, I mean, what products will be impacted? What can we expect to have or not have as consumers? This is the million-dollar question, Rihanna. We really find it hard to predict you know, what percentage food is going to go up in certain products or across the board because we don't know what weather events are coming. What we do know is that we haven't fixed the shortage of workers, whether it be pickers or truck drivers that we need in Australia. So that still remains. But, you know, we're talking about potential food inflation of up to 6 to 7% in 2023, potentially into 2024. So the sort of areas where supermarkets may have to put buying limits on are certainly potato chips. There's massive shortages because of weather events. Frozen vegetables is another, potentially fish and dairy, so milk. And, you know, what we're saying to the government, we need a national supply chain or resilience strategy. We know that you can't prevent a weather event But we can certainly have a look at labour. We can certainly have a look at transport networks. So, Richard, then what needs to be asked of government? Since 2005, we've spent about $24 billion of taxpayers' money. Only 2% of that has been spent on preparedness and resilience. That needs to change. Things around the world, due to changing climatic conditions, have changed systems will change with that. So Australia really needs to get on the front foot with this. And we are saying to the federal government and state governments that we can't put our head in the sand and saying, oh, we've got a lot of food in Australia. We do, but we also need to ensure that all of the products from a nutritional and health sense are as available as possible. And we can't do that without a plan. So the government needs to redirect funds towards planning for what's coming. That's Richard Forbes, CEO of Independent Food Distributors Australia. And it sounds like big changes for what we buy and that prices are going to continue to go up. That's The Briefing. Tune in tomorrow. Listener.